Good evening. This is Claire Smith, the editor-in-chief of The Daily Texan, joined today by our news editor, Wynne Davis, and senior columnist, Noah M. Horwitz. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on, Claire. Yeah, thank you, Claire. So, of course, the topic that everyone is talking about, which is the focus of our forum page this week, is student government elections and campus-wide elections. Um, It's been uh, quite a kerfuffle. Um, this year. Last year seemed to be an aberration all on its own, but this is a whole new kind of beast. When do you want to run us through what's been going on? Yeah, uh, so it has been election season. Um, This year we had four different executive alliance, um, I guess, alliances running. And um, with that, you know, every campaign season there are complaints and those complaints are heard by the election supervisory board. Um, but this year there's uh, been quite quite uh, the controversy, I would say. Um, so essentially what's been happening is there have been complaints that have been made. The election supervisory board has heard them. Uh, those candidates have the right to appeal that decision. And if they choose to appeal the decision, it goes to the Supreme Court, um, which is also made up of members of student government and the student body. Um, For a lot of those decisions, the Supreme Court has chosen to overrule them or change the ruling and whatever punishment um, was handed down to those candidates. But it seems that the Supreme Court um, kind of like, I don't want to say overstepped their bounds, but there was some kind of confusion. um, And those members of the Supreme Court were present during the original hearings for the election supervisory board. And because of that, they were unable to verify and validate the election results. So we do not know who our next student body president and vice president will be. And um, because of that, Uh, everything is on hold, all the results are pending, and last night at the student government meeting, uh, four out of the five Supreme Court justices resigned. So right now there's only one member of the Supreme Court. They are currently looking to fill the other positions, and the the results are still pending, and the dean of students is involved trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Yeah, so obviously there's a lot going on right now. So there was this rule which to my understanding it isn't written down anywhere, but somehow it's just like a procedural thing that no one really knew about because even the election supervisory board on at least one occasion actually invited members of the Supreme Court, which is um, the appellate court, to come and observe the proceedings um, in the first, I don't want to call it a trial, but I don't, just in the first proceedings. Um, Even in the case um, of Alexander Chase, who is the newly elected uh, future editor-in-chief of the the Daily Texan, Pauline Behrens, who um, chairs the Texas Student Media um, Board, for, like election board, she came and you know to take to take notes during the, the proceedings in case it went to an appeal. Um, so apparently, this isn't a rule that's written down anywhere, but um, it has still been holding up the proceedings. And also, um, of course, the resignation of Zach Stone and three of his colleagues on. The Supreme Court comes after legislation written by the Speaker of the Assembly to actually impeach Stone, which it's unclear to me, but I don't think that it's even in the student government constitution that the Speaker of the that 
the Supreme that uh, the assembly can impeach a member of the Supreme Court. I think that sets like a pretty dangerous precedent. You know, it's saying, of course, we want the Supreme Court to still rule on things related to student government. But if we don't like what you what you're doing, we can just pull you out and just have you rubber stamp everything that goes through. Um, Noah, how's it been for you observing this year's election? You've you've been at UT for a few years, so um, I certainly haven't experienced anything like this before. What about you? I think it's sort of delightful given that last year, Xavier Rotnowski and Rohit Mandalapu sort of ran their campaign about, uh, you know, about being a joke. And uh, the irony was, of course, the majority of the electorate here at the University of Texas thought that SG was the joke. The problem was that the punchline wasn't really being laughed at by most of the people in it, which is why uh, Xavier and Rohit won. And I think that the best way that that has been, uh, you know, that it's been verified that that has continued is all of these uh, shenanigans that have continued to happen this year. Uh, You know, last year with... um, there were some incidents uh, internally in student government regarding uh, how do I put it? In altercations between members, and that was sort of when everybody started talking about SG really being at its lowest, but they may have really outdone themselves here in the last week. Yeah, I mean, so along with Zach Stone's resignation letter, he also attached an email affirming that Uh, I guess, affirming support from certain members of the assembly, stating that even if the impeachment proceedings had gone um, through and had gone to a vote, he wouldn't have been impeached. So all of this is incredibly dramatic. Um, But I mean, really, it's been it's it's almost like student government has been in a competition with itself. How much more dramatic like can this election get? Um, two years ago, I don't think that Corey Rady um, and Kenton Wilson, who are two um, I guess the two candidates were student body president. I don't believe that those campaigns filed a single complaint against each other. I don't believe that Braden Jones um, and Xavier and Rohit like filed any complaints against each other's campaigns last semester. And it's it's been extraordinary the number of hearings that we've had this year. Um, and even I wasn't expecting. I think that there have been five hearings for just the Helgren Kim team. Is that right, Wynn? Yeah, that's right. Um, And there have been a number of complaints um, for the Dimitrov and Guardiana campaign as well. Um, And then tonight, there were three more complaints filed against them. So that's new and in. So we'll definitely... Filed against the Dimitrov-Guardiana campaign. Yeah, yeah. Um, There were three new complaints filed against the Dimitrov-Guardiana campaign. One of them, which includes um, a complaint for their financial disclosures. So candidates must disclose all of their finances um, that they spend on their campaign. This one in particular is talking about two sandbags that hold up plywood sign outside of the Tridelt sorority house, saying that they are not on their financial disclosures. Um, But more interestingly, and maybe more importantly, um, there's a (laughs) chili pepper costume that has not been disclosed or is saying that it was not disclosed until their second financial disclosure, even though they were wearing it at the beginning and that they have to disclose it because it was used to bring attention to their campaign, which I'm sure probably a lot of people are familiar with if you, you know, watch the UT Snapchat story and you see these crazy costumes and people dancing in them. Can they say it was just an in-kind contribution? Can Kaylin say, hey, I I just had this in my closet and uh, I 
figured that I better use it for this campaign because what what better use is there for you know all the days of the year that are not October thirty first? Exactly. Like yeah. if she wanted well, to be a chili pepper, what if she wanted to be a banana? A lot of people have banana. This costumes. sounds so much to me like what we what we call sometimes lunchable gate. The hearing <laughs> last semester about. I think it was two roses, two New Jersey pink roses, and a couple of Lunchables that were handed out at the candidate debate by Xavier and Rohit uh, when they were running, and they weren't, you know, disclosed on the financial dis- on the financial disclosure because, yes, they weren't really campaigning materials; they were like gifts for the other for the other candidates. And so, I mean, this is. That's just silly. That's just a silly complaint. But I guess, you know, rules are rules. So we'll see if ESB hears it. We'll see what happens. Maybe this is why Joe Strauss hasn't been able to ban uh, dark money yet in the state legislature. You have all these guys that go to the University of Texas and then they go and years later get elected to the legislature and they start debating campaign finance reform. And they're thinking, wait, wait, wait. I remember when I was a kid, you know, people (laughs) would get in trouble for not saying that they bought Lunchables. And he goes, we can't do any of this stuff. And they just tack completely the other way. So, you know, (laughs) sometimes I suppose. I suppose there's unintended consequences when you go uh, to be on the extremes too far. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think that what is, I think the most disappointing thing for me as someone who voted in the student government election is that they didn't announce the results on Thursday night. And I don't think that they were, on, I don't think that the dean of students office was honest about the reason why these results weren't announced on Thursday. And they haven't come out and said anything really since then. The information that we do know about what's going on in the elections is hearsay from the candidates themselves. Um, you know, that they're that they're reviewing um, three different cases because members of the appellate court were present during the proceedings and no one knew that that wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. So they're just you know, wanting to clean that up, just wanting to hear it again. Um, and they haven't really said that at all. And so um, with these, I guess, with the allegations of, of bias on the Supreme Court that arose, I, I guess mostly from um, Tanner Long's impeachment resolution, those have been given credence by the radio silence from the dean of students' office. And I think that that is probably really damaging to the students involved in this election, which is very disappointing. I mean, too, it's just silly. The students voted in this election. It's a campus-wide election. They deserve to know what's going on. They deserve to know when they're expected to vote again and choose if they will, because as everyone knows, I mean, except for last year and runoff elections, voter turn turnout is always lower, you know, than the first time around. So that's really disappointing. And I think the, st- the students deserve to know who won this election, I think, almost regardless of whether or not it gets invalidated. You know, it would be one thing if there were thousands upon thousands of paper ballots that had to be counted by hand, but the election took place on the internet. They could, there could be a couple clicks on a keyboard, and they, you know, they know who won the election. And I think from the average student's point of view, you know, this is like a, looks like a banana republic where you have, you know, the dictator goes, well, we've, we've done the election, but we're, we're not really comfortable telling you who won. We need to examine the results for a while. It just, you know, really adds to this idea that, you know, something's fishy in the water. And I mean, wouldn't the easiest way to be able to tell if a party was injured by, I guess, uh, proceedings that the dean of students weren't 100% comfortable with, wouldn't the easiest way to discern if injury had happened would just to see if either of the two injured parties, i.e. the only two teams that were involved in complaints, to see if they made it into the runoff? Yeah. 
So if exactly, so if the if the Helgren campaign and the Dimitrov campaign were in the runoff, which you know it's there were no scientific polls, I suppose, upon this uh, campaign, but it's I don't think it would be that bad of a bet to say that they were considered the favorites going into the runoff. And if that actually happened, then wouldn't all this uh, all these allegations about improper complaints? It would all be a moot point because the idea was that if the Supreme Court did something wrong, if ESB did something wrong, you know, what was the worst consequence? The consequence would be it would reduce the uh, the turnout and re- reduce the amount of support that they would get. So if they were the top two vote-getters anyway, what difference does it make? Right now, the game seems to me to be just trying to file enough complaints to get someone disqualified. And all of the complaints are directed towards the two teams that, as we wrote in the editorial board's endorsement editorial, were really the front runners in this race, like the two standout teams. They're all directed at either of these teams. And I'm not going to speculate as to whether this is, you know, some sort of conspiracy with people related to either campaign, you know, throwing these complaints around to try to get someone disqualified. But it is very odd that all of these complaints are really, like, targeted at these two different teams. But, I mean, as we've seen, complaints have gotten into other races, too. A team that was running for president and vice president of the Graduate Students' Assembly was disqualified. Wynn, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. um, So in that race, there were three different Executive Alliance candidates Um, and one of them was disqualified. So essentially what happened is the, um, the Graduate Student Assembly was having, um, a cattle call event that was dealing with, like, the graduate students who were against Campus Carry, um, which isn't a registered student organization, just to clarify that. But, um, dealing with that and kind of that event was just having people come out, you know, share their thoughts on that. Um, and what happened was member or a member of the um, Badari Scott campaign posted in the Facebook event page um, some kind of favorable message or just some message, you know, saying, hey, this is what who we are, like, vote for us. And after that was posted on the event page, then the uh, current GSA president sent an email out through a listserv to people about the event. Um, and he did not realize that that post was there. So then he actually filed the complaint against them saying that they misused or had improper usage of a listserv, um, and they were disqualified. Um, but then after that, they did appeal it. And then a second, so they, they were disqualified and they weren't on the ballot when the elections took place. So, but they appealed it. Um, and the secondary court decided that, you know, they should be disqualified. And then that's finally when we found out, um, who the winners were. Mm. So that one didn't have as long of a prolonged process, but we also didn't know the results of that on the Thursday when the election results were all supposed to come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I showed up to Thursday I'm sorry, I showed up to the event on Thursday to hear the election results announced at 6 o'clock. They were supposed to be at 6 o'clock. They said, come back at 6.30. We came back at 6.30. They said, come back at 7. We came back 7.30, 8. I think they were ultimately announced at 8.30, two and a half hours later, while they were trying to, quote, unquote, certify the results. Ended up not certifying them at all and just announcing, you know, 
announcing sort of partial results, I guess. Um, and so I think that this whole situation can go one of two ways moving forward. I think that as the dean of students is looking at, you know, or reviewing, I guess, these three cases, if I suppose if they rule in the same way that the Supreme Court did, then, I mean, they would have disproven that anything untoward happened and can certify the results from last week. Maybe we can move into a runoff after spring break. But if not, I believe that we would have to go into a one-week-long special election. I think that special elections are usually one week. And then probably, I mean, in all likelihood, there would, there would still be a runoff. So the next executive alliance is supposed to officially take office, I believe, on April 11th. So we could be running, I mean, really down to the wire on this if um, the election supervisory board and the dean of students chooses to, you know, stick with the calendar that they usually do of starting a campaign on a Wednesday and having the election results on like a Wednesday or a Thursday. Um, so we, we could really be running up until the end on this, which I think is unsettling for the candidates themselves. I think it's unsettling for the students. It's really squandering student interest at this point. I mean, it's almost painful <laughs> to keep watching because it's so stuck. And, um, you know, for a lot of these students, you know, most of them are seniors, so they would be taking a fifth year to complete their degrees and, you know, serve in this office. This is sort of getting up to the time when they would need to be applying for graduation if this election doesn't go their way and, they're cha and they change their mind about staying for a fifth year, as uh, Kimia Dargahi did last year. So um, I don't know. And that's all assuming that uh, the second election isn't also invalidated. Yeah, of course. Anything's possible at this point. But um, yeah, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add, Noah and Wen? Where do y'all see this going? Um, yeah, so I think right now what we can expect is hopefully to have some kind of update on what the candidates are doing and what the dean of students is doing um, this Friday. Um, and then from there, going into spring break, nothing's going to happen over there. Students won't be on campus, so they obviously can't campaign if they do decide to have um, a special this, campaign this season. This has been an unauthorized campaign period since last Thursday, correct? Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. West Mall's been very quiet. <laughs> West Mall has been quiet. There are no dancing chili peppers as far oh, as I've seen. Wow. Um, so it's kind of a disappointment, but it's Which okay. It's worse, yeah. But um, so more than likely, you know, we won't know anything until spring break, and even then we won't know if they're going to verify the results from last week or if we're going to go into a special campaign. But like you guys said, I think it's very likely that if they do go into a new like one week campaign that we're still going to have a runoff. And like you did, did say again, uh, most graduation applications are due on April 4th. And that's a very short turnaround for those individuals if they are seniors and hoping to take a fifth year. Um, so I definitely don't think that the SG campaign news is going to be slowing down anytime soon, um, but hopefully we'll be able to get some more answers and finally, you know, hear from Dean of Students on what they're doing to address this. Um, as I said a few minutes ago, I, I think the students have, the, have a right to know what happened with this election last week. Um, and if the Dean of Students uh, refuses to... Uh, tell the students what they rightfully should know. I think somebody should file a Freedom of Information Act request to try to figure it out because I think that information will have some big implications for if and when a second election is held. The, the say, okay, well, these people were really the choice of the student body, uh, you know, in the election that 
in all honesty, it's probably going to be the high watermark for turnout. There aren't, you know, there were people that were really, uh, that got riled up last year with, uh, you know, Ratnowski and Mandalapu. And uh, for better or for worse, I, I don't think the, without, you know, editorializing about it, I, I don't think there's the same enthusiasm this year. So I, I don't think this year is going to continue the trend from last year. It's going to be like the times before where, you know, as, I, I don't know what they call it, the second preliminary election and then the runoff election that would actually be the third election. I think as each of these goes on, turnout would just continue the slide. Right. And um, when the editorial board wrote its endorsement, we really sort of wrote it in a way that thought, okay, so last year that was a real watershed moment in student government, but maybe what students wanted last year with this big culture change couldn't necessarily be accomplished in one year. Maybe we need to like keep pushing that goal, um, you know, in future years and probably in this election. And, you know, maybe it needs to be like a two-pronged type attack strategy to really make student government something that students care about, something that students want to be involved in, want to vote in the elections for. Um, because as Noah, you you said in your column that, you know, for better or for worse, you know, maybe Xavier and Rohit spent, you know, a good part of their term sort of establishing themselves exactly. within the establishment you know, to help them be effective. And um, I would just really hate to see this radio silence from Dean of Students and this um, stalling and maybe just lack of activity. I mean, just a complete void of information regarding this, like, alienate students even further from an organization that is supposed to serve their interests. So I hope that we get clarity on it soon. And of course, I just, I hope that it doesn't hurt student student turnout and um, any subsequent voting that may or may not happen. But of course, that's all up to speculation because no one is saying anything. So, um, well, thank you to my guests, Wynn Davis, news editor, and Noah M. Horowitz, senior columnist. And thank you for joining us for Forum. Pick up Thursday's edition of The Daily Texan or go online to www.dailytexanonline.com to read Forum contributions from ESB Chair David Engelman, um, three of the four resigned Supreme Court justices in student government, as well as Brian Wilkie, the uh, Graduate Students Assembly president, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Texan Podcasts and Texan Editorial. Thank you so much and have a good day. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Claire Smith with special guests Wynn Davis and Noah M. Horowitz. And the music was by Jazar. Be sure to check back after spring break for our next episode. And as always, be sure to check out dailytexanonline.com.